You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with our weekly review of the news, Just Ask the Press. And as usual, is with me is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. Coming up, we got a lot to unpack. It's Fannie Willis versus Donald Trump. What's up with Donald Trump's immunity, please? Elena Haba, Haba Haba, screws up in court. So what? Uh, the Bipartisan Press Act passes the House. Will it carry in the Senate? What does it mean for reporters and for the country? Is the New Hampshire primary the last chance to stop the Trump train? There's a, if you haven't noticed, there's a Texas border standoff between uh, the federal government and the sovereign state of Texas. Is that a prelude to civil war or just a lot of gas coming from uh, the wonderful Hey Abbott uh, governor in Texas? And finally, Tim Scott endorses Donald Trump. We'll uh, unpack that, the latest in the NFL playoffs, and your letters coming up. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me, as always, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. Michael, we'll start out with the Fannie Willis versus Donald Trump debacle. Uh, and I guess that has to do with uh, the uh, the, affair, the alleged affair and the hearing that's going to happen in February and the latest in Donald Trump immunity. And also, Elena Haba screws up in court, so unpack a lot of let, let's have at it so this case in georgia gets brought by fanny willis the elected district attorney uh for the state of georgia she decides that the case itself is so complicated with so many defendants and so many different legal theories she needs to bring in outside counsel to assist her in the prosecution of this case something which is not unusual and she brings in i believe three outside attorneys who are each getting paid $250 an hour for their work. In 200, for $250 an hour in Washington, you could maybe get a paralegal, but they're working for $250 an hour. That's another issue. <laughs> and um, the case is proceeding. And then the one of the lawyers, a fellow named Nathan Wade, who's one of the lead prosecutors, gets involved in a nasty divorce uh, with his wife. And she alleges that Nathan Wade is having an affair with the district attorney, Fannie Willis, and files papers in her divorce case, I guess, asking for uh, monies for her because of the uh, affair and other things. But it's a pure divorce case. Michael Roman who is one of the defendants in the Georgia case, I think he's the head of the Republican Party in, in Georgia, yeah. files a pleading 
in the Fannie Willis case saying, I've read these allegations about an affair between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade in the divorce case. And I think, Judge, you should look into this to see whether or not this relationship requires some sort of sanctioning. And so the judge has scheduled it for a hearing to see whether or not some sort of sanctioning is required. So when you ask, what is all this about? What could the sanctioning be? I think it's important to keep in mind that the sanctioning, if there is any sanctioning, and I don't think there ought to be, um, but would be, should Fannie Willis, the district attorney, or Nathan Wade somehow be disqualified from prosecuting the case because of this affair between them? It doesn't touch, in my view, the merits of the case or the, if you will, the, the sanctity of the prosecution. That prosecution can still go forward even if Fannie Willis is no longer um, allowed to be participating in it. And remember, there is one defendant in this case who Fannie Willis has been recused from prosecuting because she held a fundraiser for his opponent um, in, a, in, a, in an election before uh, the, the indictment. So the bottom line of this is there's an allegation that Nathan Wade, the privately retained attorney, and Fannie Willis are having an affair, and that Nathan Wade used some of the money he earned on this case to go on to pay for vacations for him and Fannie Willis. Of course, he's a private attorney. He's being paid um, his hourly rate, and he can spend his money as he sees fit. If he wants to go on a vacation with Fannie Willis, there's nothing that prevents him from doing that. Now, if he is misrepresenting the number of hours he's worked or what he's spending the money on, if he's making misrepresentations, that's that's a serious matter that will impact his bar license. But just on the face of it, two lawyers, two adults having a, a, an extramarital affair post you know divorce proceedings uh, is just doesn't implicate the case but it's it's great politics you know sort of theater it's great politics and, and theater um and you know it's it's not it's not it wasn't great judgment on her part if the fair if the affair was pre-existing unless this guy Nathan Wade is really the guy the only guy who could bring a case like this, and then that even though she was having the affair in the interests of justice, she had no choice but to bring him in because he's the man. Um, if he's just one of the folks that could have done it and there was a pre-existing affair, then it was bad judgment to not realize that this would ultimately come out and that we'd be in this embarrassing political situation uh, and not really so much, I don't think, a substantive legal uh, problem for the for the case as opposed to as as opposed to the individual lawyers themselves so before we go forward though i it could further delay the prosecution it, it is that possible well, I mean, let's say the worst case scenario yeah which in my view does not involve dismissing the case or anything 
that implicates the, the the case itself. And the judge says, you know what? This is just a bad look. And I'm going to ask that the two of you recuse yourself from this prosecution. Well, does that affect the timeline? It depends. If Nathan Wade has a team of other lawyers who are up to speed and ready to go forward, then no. If Fannie Willis, who is the district attorney and who isn't really trying the case, she's sitting in the courtroom and then making you know, statements uh, to the media, if she's not day-to-day -day involved in this case, if she's not really making hard prosecutorial decisions, then you know it could be a, a, a speed bump on the road, but it, it shouldn't materially change the the timeline of the case but you know the reality is that there is not a clear timeline for this case because this case segueing to immunity brian uh, this case also depends on what happens in the immunity claims trump has argued that he's entitled to immunity from prosecution for uh his activities in the white house on and up to okay january 6th hold that thought for a second because i want to get john's take on the uh fanny willis part that we were talking about in the break before we started and john you wanted to unload now's your shot <laughs> <laughs> well um i i do disagree with michael here um you know this gentleman who's the lead Council prosecutor in the case did you know his firm did bill bill the the DA's office what I read yesterday I think believe it was the Washington Post six hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. Well, if you're billing the DA's office, that's taxpayer money. And then if you were discussing the Trump prosecution on one of these trips and he's not the only guy who can who can land this plane and get a conviction and i haven't i haven't heard read or talked to any legal expert that thinks you know he's the only guy that can can land that plane um i think this is a problem and you have when you're dealing with somebody like donald trump who can squirm out of just about anything it seems like you have to go by the book you can't be the one to screw it up. We were talking about the, the NFL playoffs before we before Brian hit the button and we started recording. You can't beat yourself. And I suspect you can, but that, it's an ugly thing to see. But go ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I suspect that 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 they may be on their way in Georgia to beating themselves. And Trump will find a way at least to delay the trial until if not after the election, it would start too close to election day for voters to have that information, that that final decision um, in that in that Georgia case. Oh, so you're talking about political fallout. You're, you're, you're. I'm. Well, I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm talking mostly about political fallout. Michael's the legal expert. If he thinks it's not going to change the contours of the trial once it starts. But it's to Trump's advantage, immediate advantage, to at least delay things. Yeah. Motion, motion, motion. They're screwing me. This is a conspiracy. We all, we all, everyone knows the Donald Trump playbook, but nobody yet, except Joe Biden, has really been able to stop it. Um, 
So I think I think that's the problem here is it it opens the door for voters to not have information on conviction or no conviction in that case. All right. So but you're talking about the political fallout from the November election. And I yeah, I I, appearance versus reality. Donald Trump's going to always grab whatever appears best for him. And, And of course, this makes it look like deep state collusion. I get all that in a court of law, though. I think that it. Um, I, I guess now we can pick up the immunity thing because we don't have a. Uh, but also, a, also, a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Why do you have to pick your boyfriend? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. This is not. This is. I, I know it. I, I get might, that, but I not change the day to day in the trial. But I just think it. I think the 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 poor judgment here raises questions about that office's ability to land to prosecute, the plane. Yeah, to prosecute right. the case. I get you. Uh, right. But as far as the scheduling, as far as the actual yeah. trial, I don't think I, – I, I, I'm going to agree with Michael on that from what I've spoken to other legal experts about. I don't think the, the fallout is a dismissal of charges or no. that Donald Trump will no. get to walk away from this. It's just another case of – or maybe poor judgment <laughs> and and it may it what i fear is that if you made poor judgment in this what else did you make poor judgment on in the case it's going to come back to bite you in the ass i've, I've seen, and that's I've because seen. of the long time fear yeah. as you said in the break before we started you know it's it's always snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory right. so yeah you I, made this mistake what other mistakes are you going to make and I haven't heard anyone say, you know, this this gentleman. I'm sure he's a he's a talented lawyer and and all that, but I haven't heard anyone say like he's a great courtroom tactician. So again, <laughs> why why him? Well, yeah. Why him? There you go, Michael. I I guess well, if you want to comment on that and then talk a little bit about the Trump immunity, which is why we don't even have a court date yet. So go ahead with that. So I can't argue with the notion that if you are having an affair with someone and you're an elected government official it's probably more prudent than not to not bring that person <laughs> onto the onto the case yeah so I, that was i a, like the way you put that yeah that said the uh spending of taxpayer money remember it's he he is a private attorney being paid by a client the the state if he were spending some state funds that were supposed to go to child care benefits instead on vacations, that would be a crime. Here, he can spend whatever money he earns. It's his money to spend it in any way he wants. If he wants to take Fannie Willis on a vacation or he wants to buy a Lamborghini, it's his money. He can do what, what he wants. It's just the appearance that creates right. the problem, which is yeah. I'm stuck on the appearance. I admit. Yeah, that. and 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 it's a terrible appearance, and it's an exercise of of terrible judgment. Um, if they, in fact they were having an affair before he was hired, and even if they weren't, even if in the course of the twenty hour days that they were most likely working on this case together, and he and his wife are estranged, and they're working together, and it's one of these office romances. The reality is that probably one of the two of them should have been transparent about it or stepped aside or done something so that 
in, in law, they say uh, it's best to take the wind out of the sails on your own accord than have it um, <clears throat> be revealed in cross-examination. You know, if you say to your own witness, isn't it true you did this bad thing? The witness says, yes, I admit it, and I'm terribly sorry about it. That's a much better way to get it out than to not ask the witness about it and have the cross-examination start. And the cross-examination question was, are you the same guy who committed this bad act? <laughs> um, and so she could have taken the wind out of the sails of, of this thing by being more um, forthcoming about it, but she didn't. And we are where we are. We'll see what the judge has to say about it. But even if the judge says, you know what, this was a bad look, but no harm, no foul as a matter of the prosecution of this case, and you guys can both stay on it. It does, to John's point, give Trump, you know, another hallway press conference where he says, just you see what I'm dealing with here. Look at these immoral people, which is ironic coming from yeah. Trump. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, it's, it's, it's a talking point that that they gave him. Now, Brian, you asked the question whether or not there is a trial date in Georgia. And you had asked the initial question at the outset of this thing, what's going on with Trump's immunity argument? We remember from last week, we had a conversation about immunity. And what Trump has argued in the D.C. Court of Appeals, in the U.S. Court of Appeals, District of Columbia, that he is entitled to complete immunity uh, from prosecution for acts he undertook in, in, the, uh, term as, in his term as president, and that without it, presidents would be unable to act. It was met with a very chilly reception by the court because the hypotheticals put forward are if he has complete and absolute immunity, except if he's convicted in a Senate impeachment trial, doesn't it mean that he can do all these criminal things, order the SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent, sell nuclear secrets, sell pardons, you know, all of these sort right. of things, does it mean that he can do all of that if he's not going to be convicted in an impeachment? And his lawyer basically said, yeah, that's the yeah. way we think the Constitution um, is is structured. And, you know, whether or not these are horrible hypotheticals is not our point. Our point is this is what the Constitution demands. And if you don't like it, change, you know, write a statute that 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 somehow changes this outcome. Since then, as we sit here waiting for the case to be side to be decided, Trump has gone on his truth social and in a in a tweet, I think last Thursday maybe, yes. um, he in all capital letters say says even events that quote cross the line, meaning knowingly criminal, I suppose, Yeah, must fall under total immunity or be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. And he went on, I think, last night or the night before and in Manchester, was he in Manchester last night on Saturday? And he said, if there isn't complete and total immunity, for example, Truman would have never dropped the bomb on Hiroshima for fear that he would be prosecuted once he leaves office for that act. Now, how you get um, yeah. from a decision by the commander-in-chief to drop a bomb that he thinks will end the Second World War to total immunity 
for trying to lead an insurrection to prevent the orderly transfer of power is a bit of a leap um, between those two acts. But that's his position. He remains true to his position that it would be impossible for the president to function if they knew that at some point when they left office, they could be liable for their criminal acts. Seems a preposterous proposition. And in fact, the Justice Department has opined on this in 1973 and in 2000 in memoranda by the Office of Legal Counsel, the sort of the brain trust of the um, Department of Justice. And they've said, absolutely not. Once he leaves office, once Nixon leaves office, he's subject to prosecution. And we know that to be uh, logical because Ford pardoned him. Right. That's... There was no need to part. If he was not subject to prosecution, he had total immunity, then there'd be no need to pardon. To pardon. And and they, they revisited it again in 2000, where they reiterated what they held in 1973 and said it still is good now. And Mueller, in his uh, investigation of Trump, said the same thing, that, look, if there was a prosecutable case here, I can't bring it. I, you have to wait for the guy to leave office because that's what the policy of the Justice Department is, and I work for the Justice Department. So we're still waiting for this decision, and then there's all these cascading um, consequences of it. Once the decision is made that he, let's say, does not have immunity, then the trial courts can say, great, his primary defense of why this case should not go forward, that he's immune from prosecution, prevented from being prosecuted, is you know fallen by the wayside. Now we can start setting trial dates. Now, of course, Trump will seek a review by the Supreme Court or, or or maybe the Court of Appeals with all members of the court sitting. They call it en banc. Remember, there was only three judges that right. heard this argument. They can file a discretionary motion with the court to say, "Will you? Would you? Would all of you folks hear it?" Right. Those are not guaranteed that the in banc nor the certiorari to the Supreme Court is guaranteed. So bottom um, line it all for me, when do you think that they'd be when do you think this all gets taken care of? I mean, I, I don't think anybody's well, going to argue other than Donald Trump that he's got total immunity for the rest of his life. But you do need something in paper from a court going, go forward with your case. When do you think that happens? Well, people are hoping that it'll happen you know, before February because the court should be aware of the the need for resolution of this issue. So, but let's just say hypothetically that um, the last day of January, we get an opinion. Then Trump has a certain number of days to determine whether he wants to seek an appeal in bank or seek cert. That delays it a little bit further. And then if either court takes it, then that's further delay. If neither court takes it, then you're ready for trial. So that's those are the, the the contingencies are what's when is the trial court when is the three judge panel going to give its answer will the court of appeals in bank take the case will the supreme court take the case and any of those takings of the case further slows the process and any so denials you, of that shuts it down and and you could have a trial in 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 May you could have a trial in March yeah. So when do you think that we'll get the first, the uh, the trial, the three panel decision? I think people are hoping that by the end of um, January, uh, very early February, 
Okay. Um, it'll give them like three-ish plus weeks to to work on this. And that should be enough time. Although this is an important decision because how strong it is and whether it's unanimous might inform the Court of Appeals in Bank or even the Supreme Court whether they need to take this case. If the, tri if the three-judge panel gives a unanimous and forceful decision, then those other courts might not say need no. to take it up. They just say, yeah. look, we aren't going to take it up. The decision of the three-judge panel stands. If it's a wishy-washy decision or if it's a two-to-one decision, then there's a greater likelihood that an, uh, a further appeal could be successful. Okay, so the last thing before we go to break, Elena Haba had uh, was admonished 12 times in court. Well, Donald Trump was threatened with a couple things as well. But uh, as reported uh, in various places, New Republic uh, is one I'm quoting, was reprimanded a whopping 12 times during a former president's defamation trial on Thursday for her combative and bizarre behavior. But I don't know how bizarre it was. It just looked like she was and, and you can, you know, and, and and John, you can speak to the uh, the appearance of this and the politics of it. But but yeah. Michael, yeah. The, the the simple fact, it just looked like she was a first year law student who didn't know how to work her way around court. Brian, can I jump in on immunity? Just one, yeah, go one ahead. I believe it was the Rolling Stones who sang, and I quote, time is on my side yes it is time is on my side yes it is end quote um he's using my our generation's I'm lyrics using, i love it i'm using it against you um and donald trump I just want you to know donald i saw that i saw the stones perform that in in the 1960s wow. so impressive yeah. um Donald Trump is using the clock and the calendar and all of this to his advantage. And again, I'm focused on the political calendar right now. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. And all this immunity, this hearing, that panel, this motion, it just kicks everything down the road. And Election Day, November will be here before you know it. There you go. So uh, on on with uh, Haba in court. So, Michael... <laughs> How 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 serious is it? What happened, or is it just you know a a bundle of nothing? So Haba was a real estate lawyer in New York. I take it before she was brought on to uh, defend Donald Trump, and in the courtroom when she was trying to cross examine a witness, there's a procedure that you need to do if you're going to impeach them with prior statements and she couldn't get it right she probably had never done it before right. and ultimately judge kaplan said ms haba this is evidence 101 meaning this is about as basic as it as it comes and she kept asking questions um and each time you know ignoring what he said um and there were 10 objections right in a row all of which were sustained after which the judge said ms haba did you not hear me um and so it, it was embarrassing for the young ms haba but i don't think it's going to make any difference in the outcome of the case the case has been decided as a matter of liability trump right famed e. Jean carroll this is a question of how much is it going to cost him 
And it'll be interesting to see. Remember, they've asked for $10 million, but they can also get, I'm quite certain, punitive damages, additional damages, which are time intended to punish a person. And we saw that in the Rudy Giuliani case. Remember, he got like $70 million in punitive, in punitives um, because of the recklessness of his defam defamatory statements about the um, Georgia uh, election workers, Shea and Moss. Um, and so this court uh, has jurors who are going to make this decision, not the judge, not like um, the other New York civil fraud case. And these jurors might say, you know what? Enough with this. He's defamed her once. He's defamed her twice. He continues, it seems, to be uh, engaged in these mini defamations because in the courtroom itself, in the courtroom itself, Trump is sitting there next to his attorney during uh, cross-examination or direct examination, direct examination of, of Jean Carroll by her lawyer. And Trump, in like a stage whisper, is saying, you know, like, yes, you know, which one, you know, and the judge... The lawyer says to the judge, would you tell him to cut it out? <laughs> and and, and uh, they Trump and the judge get into this conversation where it was like in the schoolyard. Trump says, well, why don't you throw me out? And the judge says, you'd love me to throw you out, wouldn't you? He says, yeah, I would love you to throw me out. And then ultimately they, they uh, came to a conclusion of this schoolyard conversation and, and Trump, Trump left and, uh, the case uh, went forward. And then the big issue before we go to break is Trump has threatened once again to show up in court on Monday, today being Sunday, to testify. Um, now, he may have a fool for a lawyer, at least in terms of evidence 101, according to the judge, but he'll have a uh, fool for a client if he decides to testify uh, in, 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 this, in, in this case. <laughs> Because all he'll do, I think, is repeat his you know, <laughs> defamatory statements and, and say she's a liar. And if that's the case, and worse. And we don't have and worse um, and worse. And so if that doesn't get us defamation case number three, it could <laughs> it could get the jury saying, you know what, this guy really needs to be taught a Giuliani like lesson. Just go for the hat trick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. John. How does this appear? <laughs> not, not great. But again, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem so far that it's that it's hurting Donald Trump politically. We, we may get we may get a different feeling on Tuesday night when we start to get primary results in New Hampshire. Um, a place like New Hampshire might might be where Donald Trump feels some political punishment from 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 that case and uh, and all the others, of course. Um, but again, you know, a judge and a jury have said he 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 did awful things uh, to E. Jean Carroll and then defamed her uh, when she came public. So, you know, a place like New Hampshire, we'll see. You know, that's that's one thing that that I'm watching. Uh, on Tuesday night is, you know, just this notion of it, is any of this sticking and right. you remember, independent voters can vote in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. That's a state by state thing. But, so, but not Democrats, just to correct uh, 
That's that's right. what Donald Trump said, but it's not true. Go but ahead. This, well, right. well, except that it, it was false. But there is same day registration in New Hampshire because I did poll watching in New Hampshire um, in previous elections, and you can come in and change your party on the day of um, the primary. So there's same day registration. So in theory, um, a Democrat could renounce their Democrat um, uh, party affiliation and reassert their affiliation as an independent and vote. I think that's the way it works. Someone could fact check me, but I think that's right. what same day registration but, means that you can change your yeah. registration. Yeah. Is that right, John? Do you remember? I think that's correct. Yeah, I think that's correct. But what I was getting at here is, you know, this is another election where independent voters are, are going to have a big say in those six or eight states. And New Hampshire might give us via exit polling some some a data point on on whether these trials when when people are when independent voters come out and they're asked, you know, why did you vote for Nikki Haley? Why did you vote for Ron DeSantis? Why did you write in Donald Duck? Um, and if they enough of them say, well, all this Trump legal stuff and, and you know, you know, he was he was found liable of, of awful things with Eugene Carroll. If, if enough independent voters are saying that or bringing that up as a reason and not just. You know, I think Donald Trump is mean and bad for the country or January 6th or, you know, something like that. If they're bringing up this legal stuff, that'll be our first data point because we don't really have one. There you go. And with that wonderful thought, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have a lot more to unpack. So stick around. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. We are back. It is Just Ask the Question, your weekly show called Just Ask the Press. When we had last left the discussion, guys, we were talking about the uh, Trump foibles in court. And John, uh, adding to the foibles in court, Tim Scott endorsed Donald Trump this week. I'll tee that up. It's all yours. Well, it's. I think it's been established here that I grew up watching uh, professional wrestling, sports entertainment, as we called it down south, wrestling. <laughs> and you know, and and this reminded me a lot of, and I I thought this to myself. I didn't. I wrote a story, a, a, a an analysis piece for RollCall.com, which everybody can look up on Friday afternoon, spelling out how this could help Donald Trump. The endorsement of um, a young, likable, um, black man who who happens to be a republican senator uh from a southern state um he has uh tim scott is known for being very optimistic and very upbeat he's 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 not really a maga republican even though i'm you know his voting record i'm i could go look at the cq vote studies that we do i'm sure he voted with donald trump 
what, probably 96% of the time when Trump was president. Um, but his brand of conservatism is very different. Now, going back to the wrestling um, bit that I started here, we have seen the babyface, the good guy, join the bad guy faction that is a staple of sports entertainment, of, of wrestling. This reminded me when he was standing there the other night in New Hampshire at a Trump rally, Trump standing, um, you know, off his shoulder on stage there at the lectern, the, you know, the Trump, that big Trump sign on the on the lectern. I thought Tim Scott just joined the NWO. He just joined the New World Order. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, this is Lex Luger or or somebody like that deciding to 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 cross over and, and be a heel. Now, he, you know, Democrats criticized him and others have criticized him, but, and I, I alluded to this in, in my piece on Friday afternoon, Tim Scott is, pr is pretty clearly here thinking about Tim Scott's future, and this is fueling even more talk of Tim Scott being Trump's running mate when, in the next few months, when Trump uh, whenever Trump announces who his running mate's going going to be, Tim Scott um, would do some things as a running mate, excuse me, politically for Donald Trump. Um, we've seen it in poll uh, poll numbers. We've seen it in town halls, focus groups. Uh, black voters, especially black men, are are not very happy with Joe Biden. I said on a roll call's political theater podcast this week that. I can't recall covering another elected official who has frustrated, angered, irked, miffed, and just flat out pissed off so many different groups of their own political base than Joe Biden. I well, mean, you've got that, you mean other than Donald Trump? <laughs> I, I mean, they all. Left, I mean, people have. Base. They were so pissed off at Trump, they left the party. So, I mean, we kind of have to keep that in mind, too, right? But that's really one kind of Republican that did that. You've got black people mad at Joe Biden. You've got Hispanics. You've got Jewish folks. You've got progressives. You can't put together a winning coalition in a general election with all those people mad at you. And and Joe Biden, for and, and the problem is, as I said, as I said on the Roll Call podcast, is how many Band-Aids do you have in your box? To, to put on all of these wounds. And I'm not saying that, you know, that, that all of this is Joe Biden's fault, you know. I don't, well, but, Buck stops but here. I'm, he kind of is. But what I'm I mean, saying is Tim Scott could go talk to black male voters. And again, I think this is going to be a very close election in those six or eight states. And you don't have to pick off all the black voters. You just have to get enough. And then you get some independent voters. And then maybe... You know, you get some other folks who, who maybe voted libertarian last time. They vote for Trump. So I think Tim Scott can go to places that Donald Trump wouldn't go or wouldn't be received necessarily well um, and, and talk to a different group because this is just about piecing together enough votes to win the Electoral College. Michael? Well, the thing that I value a lot is loyalty. You know, so for example, you take this podcast, I get asked all the time, can you do my podcast at 11 at, on Sundays? And I say, absolutely not. 
Brian brought Brian brought me to the dance and, and I'm going home with and I'm going home with him. But seriously, Scott owes his political career to Nikki Haley. She appointed him. And yeah. for goodness sake, you know, where is, you know, sort of loyalty these days? It's just stunning to me that his political calculation, and I don't discount what John is saying at all. I agree that this is all about ambition. And you remember when um, Chris Christie dropped out of the, the presidential race and he essentially was asked the question or he asked himself the question, why did you get involved with Donald Trump to begin with. And he said, it was ambition. I admit it. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. It was it was ambition. And and here it is, Tim Scott, it's seemingly making a choice for personal ambition over friendship and loyalty and other attributes that are way more uh, important than selfish political ambition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I didn't have much regard for um, Scott as a policy matter. And now I have no regard for him as a as a personal matter. You know, if, well, he, if he doesn't think that Nikki Haley is going to be the best president and he thinks that Donald Trump is going to be the best president, but she appointed him and just be quiet. Yeah, just, that, let it, just let it just let it play out. Um, well, but you're right. It's it has to do with uh you know, pull it, it, it. His desires to move forward. It's ambition. Well, remember, uh, remember, Sting joined the Four Horsemen uh, back in the late '80s, and and that was all about ambition. And we know how that played out. Yeah, there you go. So, so I, I guess John, the last question to ask before we go to our next break is, uh, is the New Hampshire primary the last chance to stop the Trump train, John? When, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. The, the New Hampshire primary, is that oh. the last chance to stop the Trump train? <laughs> I was trying to look at the rundown to see what question you were going to ask that, me. That, and that was it. That's that it. was it. <laughs> he's like the Elena, he's like, um, Elena Haba of our podcast. You know? <laughs> I don't know how this works. A year and a half later. Uh, no. Uh, is, is New Hampshire the last chance to stop the Trump train? I don't think there was ever a nominating contest contest on the schedule um, that was going to stop the Trump train in the primary. I think he has a pretty easy path here. Um, you know, I've heard various pundits, various networks, and, and read various things, uh, and everyone is squinting as hard as they can. I hope everyone... Um, in the next few weeks can get to their optometrist and 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 get everything checked out because everyone's squinting pretty hard and talking about Nikki Haley's path to the nomination. And I don't see one. I don't see one at all. And she's going to be the last person standing here. Um, Ron DeSantis is polling. I saw this morning uh, he's polling at 6% in New Hampshire. Now, he hasn't campaigned hard there. Um, that's not a Ron DeSantis type place. He's he's betting on a you know try he, uh, coming in second in South Carolina to keep his campaign alive. But now we're at that point where we're talking about how long can DeSantis and Haley keep their campaigns alive? You know, it would take a big upset by Haley in New Hampshire to 
to maybe flip the script and 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 put doubt in Republican voters' minds in other states about Trump. And it just doesn't seem to be coming together for her uh, the, the way you would expect uh, before an upset that we've seen. We, and we have seen them in New Hampshire in the past, and folks are right uh, to point that out, that New Hampshire can surprise you. Uh, but we're just not seeing the ingredients. They're just not all, they're not all in the, they're not all in the pan right now for it to come together. I know how you feel about it, but I mean, do you think there's any political cachet, any political um, fallout? I mean, here's Haley on Saturday. She questioned Donald Trump's mental fitness after after he, he confused her with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi when talking about the January 6th attack. And, um, Here's a quote from Haley, quote, last night, Trump is at a rally. He's going on and on mentioning me several times as to why I didn't take security uh, during the Capitol riots, why I didn't handle January 6th better. I wasn't even in D.C. I wasn't in office then. I mean, it seems that there there are some mounting problems with Donald Trump, independent of the court situation that plays into the appearance versus reality uh, uh, theater of the absurd that we always have to find ourselves with Donald Trump. So I, I wonder, I, I you know I wonder I wonder what what's depending on what happens in New Hampshire if there is there there might be a path for for Nikki Haley I, I I know you don't think so but I I wonder if there is an opening lane there uh, with all of what's going on and that so that's no that, I don't please don't hurt yourself Brian squinting trying to see that I don't yeah I I, I, I don't I we disagree on this one I just I just don't. I, I don't see. Well, you know what, me, I, I still don't think he's going to be on the ballot in November. So that's, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, think I hear he's, you. I think he's the front runner to be the next president. So we we disagree on on Mr. Trump's future. But I'm not ruling out that he would be the 47th president from a federal or state penitentiary. But <laughs> yeah, let's. As, yeah, as I've read your scenario says, there. We'll, I I read yeah. that column. <laughs> as an editor of mine uh, says, we'll jump off that bridge when we get there. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> You know, it's very hard to see a path for any of Trump's challengers, even if Nikki Haley does make a, a good showing in New Hampshire, even a, a shocking surprise showing um, within a point of or two of, of, of Trump. She goes to South Carolina. She's trailing by 30 points in her, yeah. home, in her yeah. home state. Yeah. Um, and maybe she gets some momentum out of a very close second or tie in New Hampshire. And then they go to, is it Michigan and then South Carolina? Is that how, how, how it works? And maybe she does okay in Michigan, sort of a New Hampshire-like uh, outcome. But then she gets to the Super Tuesday or whatever they're, whatever it's called. Um, Nevada's next. Nevada. Yeah, Nevada. Yeah, I just... Well, I just yeah. think she has a hard time doing it. The the thing that the thing that all of these people who are challenging Trump need is one of these criminal cases to start and <laughs> and, and 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 have the American people hear the evidence. Yeah. Um because yeah. we talked about this before in one of the polls, I think it was a New York Times poll. I think there was data that said if Trump were convicted that would change perhaps the level of support 
he would have. And I think it was like a six or seven point swing where he convicted. And I, I, I heard um, one of the political analysts, um, Scott, I'm forgetting his last name at the moment, who worked for McConnell that's on CNN. Oh, yeah, Scott Jennings. Scott Jennings, who I think actually knows a lot about what's going on in the Republican Party. And he said of a conviction that he thinks a lot of supporters would not want to be associated with that brand, meaning a convicted um, felon. And that could be outcome determinative of a lot of the support he gets. But that explains why he's so harsh, so hard pushing for delay. Um, in addition right. to if he becomes president, he'll just kill these cases. But if the data says that a conviction could be the October surprise that kills his his candidacy, then we understand even more why he's pushing so hard to get these cases delayed. One, one, I'm sorry. one more thing about the Republican primary. Uh, when, when I see uh, a Haley event or a DeSantis event, I, I kind of wonder what we're doing here at this point. You know, it, a sports analogy alert. Um, you know, in the NBA, if you get the two seed, you at least get to beat up on the Atlanta Hawks or the Charlotte Hornets in the first round. Right. Uh, if, you, if you do it right, you lose a game, so you get an extra night of of home arena revenue. So you beat that. You run them out of the gym in five games, and then you get a week worth of rest uh, before you move on to the next round. What do these guys get by by continuing this race for second? I I don't quite see it. They're not going to be the running mate. I, I, there's too much bad blood. Well, you think I mean, they're probably betting on the fact that he might not be in the race and it, that, that someone may fall by the wayside if he's Michael, Yeah, to Michael's point, the trials have to start. The trials, I think, is what would knock him out. Yeah. They they would have to start. So they're waiting to, to get off the bench with, with that. Let's, you know, I say this about the House a lot, the House of Representatives. They talk a lot. And I know that's how the no. system set up. But, you know, I've, I've covered legislation moving, big legislation. Let's put together this package and that package. At some point on Wednesday afternoon, if you're up there every day or Thursday morning, I look at another reporter and I say, you know what? It's just time for them to vote. They need to stop talking and vote. It's time for the general election. Oh, wow. Well, I, I'll wait to November. With that, we'll take a short break. But I'll remind you of, the, of an article in um, The Economist that I read this morning as we uh, discussed Donald Trump. Most of the major CEOs in this com country, in this company, <laughs> my Freudian slip is showing, uh, believe that uh, a, a second Donald Trump administration would be disastrous. And you don't mess with the CEOs of this country. So I, we'll see where that falls out. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With me, as always, is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, as we discuss uh, the ongoing events of the past week. The name of this particular show is Just Ask the Press. And so with that said, I, I want to talk a little bit about something that doesn't get talked about much, but... I think is, of course, important, and that is this week the Press Act passed the House. For those who don't know what that is, it is an act which would protect reporters uh, on the job from being thrown into jail. Uh, It was introduced by Jamie Raskin. It is, in fact, a shield law for a federal shield law, which has gone through many uh, iterations over the last few years. At one point in time, Jim Jordan and... um, Jamie Raskin co-sponsored this. It never got out of the House. This time it did. One of the battling ideas, one of the problems uh, in the bill was um, trying to define what a journalist is. And I've always argued it's it's hard to define what a journalist is. <clears throat> it's far easier to define an act of journalism. Now, the, the legislation would block federal law enforcement agencies from subpoenaing journalists' emails, phone records, recordings and photographs in an attempt to nail down the identity of confidential sources and their reporting. Uh, I went to jail to protect a confidential source, um, uh, and I've uh, spoken in Congress, uh, full disclosure, spoken in uh, one of the previous iterations of this bill, and I've helped uh, put together a shield law in uh, Virginia and a few other states. There are tailored exceptions, right, for terrorism or threats of imminent violence or harm in all shield laws. This one took upon itself to define a journalist as someone, quote, who regularly gathers, prepares, collects, photographs, records, writes, edits, reports, investigates, or publishes news or information that concerns local, national, or international events or other matters of public interest for dissemination to the public. That's a pretty wide net, um, so I, I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, I, I still think it's better to discuss what journalism is rather than a journalist, but letting that slide... This net does uh, would apply to photojournalists, video journalists, bloggers, editors, freelancers. So uh, the American Civil Liberties Union endorses the bill and notes that you know uh, many uh, shield laws exist in many states. I guess the, the and I'm glad to see that it's going forward um, since it passed the House unanimously. Um, in the past, the WikiLeaks uh, uh, scandal had prevented some of this. Uh, some of the stuff during the end of the Obama administration where they invoked the Espionage Act to go after reporters and sources kept this from being passed before. This is a rare occasion where it, there's bipartisan support for this bill. It's co-sponsored uh, by a Republican again out of northern, I think it's uh, California. So uh, with that said, Michael, I guess, and and John, both of you, I, I like to get the legal look on it first. Michael, does this would, when you look at it, is this something that can help journalism? Of course, anything that shields them from the the prying eyes of federal prosecutors intent on determining uh, their their sources is important. It's an interesting definition. I, I have not looked at it carefully enough to decide whether it does cover um, WikiLeaks or um, organizations like that, uh, which I have discussed with you in the past, Brian, I think they yeah. are 
a um, a news outlet and that they should be covered um, by this and that it's hard for me to distinguish between the leaks by WikiLeaks and the leaks by the New York Times and the Pentagon Papers, but that's another question. The, the issue of protection of sources is really important, and I'd like to see them double down and make sure that they have somehow codified New York Times versus Sullivan, which is another case that is important yeah. in terms of the freedom of the press. Um, so I think it's a great it's a it's a great step forward for um, the First Amendment. And so, John, and John, I guess the question there is: Can it go for you? How, how would you see it being played out in the Senate? I mean, it took a while to get it through the House. And it's failed several times. And so there is a concurrent uh, resolution in uh, the Senate, I believe. There was uh, Kevin Kiley is the one from um, who, who is actually a representative, California Republican Kevin Kiley, uh, serves in Congress. Um, and he was a former student of Jamie Raskin's. Um, so right. they've, they've gotten together for this. Do you think it, it stands a chance of passing the Senate? I think if it can get four time. It would pass the Senate. This passed the House uh, via voice vote. So this was so, um, you know, non-controversial that that uh, Speaker Johnson didn't uh, get any blowback from his right flank, and he gets plenty of that these days. Yeah. Uh, and and they didn't even take the time uh, to do a floor vote. So if if this can get if this can get to the Senate floor, and you know they've got a lot to do with spending bills, um, got to avert another. Partial shutdown in a few weeks. Uh, March 1st, uh, continuing resolution would expire. They've got to deal with that. They're prioritizing uh, judicial nominees, of course. Um, they've got to process those, and the Republicans are making them under the Senate rules, which protect the minority. Um, the Republicans are making them run the entire 30-hour clock on each, for the most part, each judicial nominee. So there's not a lot of floor time in the Senate. This is an election year. Uh, the recesses are more frequent, and in cases like October, um, they're very long. So I think it's just a question of is there is there floor time uh, to move this, and and that will depend a lot on the election calendar. Um, and one other question, and I just looked, there hasn't been an official statement of administration policy yet on this bill. Now, usually those those would come out when the second chamber is has announced a vote, put it on the agenda, and you know a day or two, sometimes the morning of the vote, uh, the White House would put out a statement of administration policy. Don't have one of those yet. Um, President Biden would sign this, right? And I'm just asking that kind of rhetorically. He would sign this, right? I don't know the answer to that question. I, I that's a good question. And when I've asked in the past, I haven't really gotten an answer. I would think that he would, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, that's that's an excellent point going forward. The other thing I wanted to talk about before the, and this last issue will take up before I, I, I have a letter I have to share. But um, I, I, I let's go to Texas for a second. Uh, at the end of the day, I got to wonder if Texans are comfortable being part of the U.S. I mean, I'm not talking about just the Dallas Cowboys who have choked so often in the NFL playoffs. Right. They they need the Heimlich maneuver when they step on the field, uh, particularly at home against the Green Bay Packers. But in general, you got a question. I mean, uh, Greg Abbott, the governor there, has put himself on a 
I mean, he's been defiant against the federal government for trying to enforce southern border security. And he keeps talking about Texas sovereignty and he's keeping uh, you know, the state's right sovereignty. And his Operation Lone Star has bust more than 35,000 immigrants to Washington, D.C., New York, Chicago, Philly, Denver, and Los Angeles in the last two years. And he, he says that there's a dangerous gap created by the Biden administration's refusal to secure the border. So last week, he was told to cease and desist. They, uh, uh, Dallas, I'm sorry, uh, Texas uh, law enforcement had kept Border Patrol from a park in Eagle Pass uh, where uh, immigrants have passed over. They've arrested, the, and Wednesday they arrested some of these uh, illegal immigrants, and they're telling the government, the federal government, it's their border to de to uh, defend. They put barriers in the uh, Rio Grande, which they were told they had to uh, remove, and they haven't done it. And it sets them up for a showdown. I mean, it, it, is, it a, is it a lot of gas or is this first moves on 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 civil war? I mean, Michael, where where do we uh, legally can the can Texas just say screw the United States? It's our border. I wouldn't think so. I think borders are uh, international state and federal um, things. I mean, the, the the shame, of course, is the uh, American forces winning the War of eighteen forty five, the Mexican American war that led to the annexation of of texas damn you know it would have been nicer if they stayed in mexico but i say that i say that yeah well that was that was previous wow, wow. wow. but anyway i, I take I, I i say that kiddingly the, the 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 border is you know federal and state and i just don't see how texas can you know not be part of the United States. However, I think that really what's going on here is that the Republicans, I think, believe that there is a political advantage for them uh, on immigration and that they're quite happy to have a crisis at the border because they think that that is um, something that hurts Biden and, hel and helps them. So I don't think there's any good faith effort here to resolve these these border slash immigration issues. So when Abbott or any of these other Republicans start talking, I think you have to discount what they say um, because I think really what they're saying is we think there's a political advantage um, to this remaining front and center because I think seven in 10 people think that the border is a mess and is in crisis and needs to be fixed. And the fact that Joe Biden is the current president, even though this problem has existed for 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 decades, uh, it's bad luck for Biden. You know, it's it's the game of politics is a game of musical chairs in a sense, which is you circle around, you circle around and the music stops. If you're the one who's standing, you're the one who's in office, you get blamed even if it's not your fault. And um, so he's getting, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't have fault in respect to the border and immigration. Everyone does a pox on all of their houses. They couldn't reach this. Uh, they can't reach an agreement on this. But I don't think Texas is acting in good faith. Yeah, you think. Uh, and uh, John? <laughs> uh, Governor Abbott um, makes me think of Tim Scott 
Uh, we're back to we're back to ambition here, and if Donald Trump is elected again, somebody has to be uh, Homeland Security Secretary, and Governor Abbott is certainly uh, giving it one hell of a tryout down in Texas. Yeah, I find it interesting. The last word on that is that you know they talk about how, and, and to your point, Michael, they talk about how they want to, you know, fix immigration. But Johnson, it, look, when when Johnson, uh, Speaker of the House Johnson, and uh, Chuck Schumer and others met with President earlier this week about Ukraine, and they said, "Hey, we're not going to talk about Ukraine unless we talk about the border." Uh, the president came out and said, "Hey, there's no more sticking points on the border," and Johnson shut the door on quote comprehensive immigration reform. Telling reporters, I don't think now is the time for comprehensive immigration reform because we know how complicated that is. So they don't really want to solve the problem. They just want to bitch about the problem and blame the president. And at the end of the day, it's all politics. And I, I don't see Texas seceding from the union. I just see a lot of gas in, in Texas. <laughs> and Brian, yeah, Brian, we can we can chuckle about about Johnson saying that and Republicans not, and they're not, House, especially House Republicans, they're not playing in these talks. The Senate and the White House probably, I expect, in the next few weeks or months, they're going to come to some agreement. The Senate will pass uh, this supplemental package for the border for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and other Asian allies. Uh, so that'll pass the Senate with um, enthusiastic support from the White House and President Biden. And Johnson, Speaker Johnson's already said it's it's DOA in the House, but we can chuckle, we can say that they're, they're not serious about it, they just want to bitch about it. But their strategy is working. If you just if you look at the polls, people are blaming Biden in big numbers for the situation at the border. So, you know, we can chuckle, and we do, and and we're right. They don't want to solve it right now, um, but they're making a political calculation and. And their strategy is working. Yeah, kicking the can down the road. I'll just say, uh, to use my favorite Texas expression when it comes to, um, hey, Abbott, uh, Greg Abbott is all hat and no cattle. Uh, with that said, I, I that's, it, the, that's a good one. <laughs> all hat, no cattle, my brother. There, remember, I, I, remember Lyndon Johnson had a speech where he said, something along the lines of a, of a political speech is like a Texas longhorn. You've got one point here pointing to the left side of the, you got one point there pointing to the other side and a lot of bull in between. That's, that's true. That's, I think that's what we've got here. Yeah. That's a lot, got of, that a lot of, a lot of bull in between. So, <laughs> as we discuss a lot of bull in between, I, I want to, this is a letter from a guy. We specialize in that, Brian. Yeah. J chalk 323. He says, I love your podcast. I listen to it while I, I take my daily walk. My wife says my walks show that I'm just an old fart. So I ask you, what's the worst part of growing old? John, you're the youngest. I'll let you take that one first. Talk about a loaded question. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, so far, um, well, the worst part is um is you know more aches and pains nobody enjoys that um uh, your eyes uh, my eyes um i guess i'm almost in my mid 40s now and a couple years ago uh my eyes got worse so that's that's and someone told me another reporter our friend Todd Gilman told me one time that his optometrist told him that uh one trick that nature likes to play 
because Mother Nature has a sense of humor, apparently, is for men, um, in your 60s, your eyes will get better again. They get a little <laughs> better again, just as you're uh, on the on the last few holes. Uh, one thing about one the last few holes of life there. Um, one thing about getting older is um, there is this realization that you, you, you come to this realization that nobody really everyone's kind of just winging it and you know you when you're younger you think the older folks they've got it figured out they've you know they've and i'll get to that point um no we're all just winging it how about you michael <laughs> so i think it was ogden nash who said that youth is wasted on the young and so as i get old and i older and i look at the young wasting the youth. I'm just, it, it's so disappointing um, to see where we are now and how little we've learned um, from the past. You know, these uh, kids who are acting out on college campuses and being coddled and canceled and woke and um, snowflaked and uh, other things, uh, you know, for me, who lived through the '60s and had a vision of a better world? I, I just am horrified of uh, where where the youth who are wasting their young years on things that don't matter. And for me, besides my knees, which kill me, um, yeah, well, that's <laughs> I, I I think that's the the worst part of it is not seeing people younger people learning all that much from, from what's yeah well I, i'll go along with all of what you all said but i'm going to say the worst part of growing older is trimming the hair out of my ears but that's that's, that's where i i really don't like that that's who knew yeah. who yeah. knew that's, yeah, that's nobody warned you of that when you're you know your dad's teaching you to shave he's not going hey when you get past 50 <laughs> you're also going to have to go after your ears that's no one taught you that. And that, that that's a stumble into type of experience, which has left my ears bleeding on a couple of occasions as I've tried to get rid of those damn things. You, you know what else? Uh, speaking of hair, Brian, and getting older, nobody prepares you for the moment when, as I did yesterday, you're getting a haircut. You know, the, the barber, the stylist puts the black cape around you and, you know, you're watching other people or whatever what's going on outside and you glance down at the cape. And it's all white. <laughs> no one prepares you for that moment. Like, whoa, holy! Whoa, what happened to my hair? I'm yeah. a chia pet. <laughs> yeah, it's all white. Well, just don't look down. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even touching that line. That's that's that's, hey that's so. With that said, I'll let you guys plug what you want. Michael, go for it. So my podcast is. That said, with Michael Zeldin, it's a weekly book discussion uh, podcast. I just released the podcast with Sanjay Gupta this week. Next week, we'll be talking about Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin versus the United States and how he got deported, uh, essentially, from the United States because they didn't like his politics being led in part by uh, the gossip-ish columnist Ed Sullivan, before he discovered the Beatles. Um, 
And then after that, a wonderful book with this Professor Ed Ayers at the University of Richmond called American Visions, America, 1800 to 1860, where he uh, convincingly articulates a, a notion that it was during that period that the vision of the United States first came in to being. So it's a it's a good book. And for Black History Month in February, we'll start with a book called Invisible Generals, the first two black generals in American military history. And John? Uh, you can catch my work and the fine work of my colleagues at rollcall.com. And the name of this show is called Just Ask the Question. Uh, you can catch me at Salon uh, with a column every Thursday. And, of course, the name of the book is called Free the Press, now on its third printing. And we thank you for joining us. This is Just Ask the Press, a product of Just Ask the Question. We want to thank all of our uh, loyal listeners who made us number two in Good Pods Independent uh, Presidential Podcasts and number three in Independent uh, political podcast. I have no idea what those lists are, but I'm thankful for you all listening. Please join us again next week. We'll catch you then.